You are listening to episode 30 of Punk Theology, part two of Amy and Seth Taylor Conversation, part two of two. This episode will make more sense if you go back and listen to the first one. Okay. Heads up, yo. BTW, good news, the Punk Theology Patreon page got a facelift and some updates want to check that out become a patreon saint see what i did there right um patreon sinner saint actually if you want to be more accurate i'm feeling the way that i'm feeling myself fuck everyone else gotta remember that nobody's better than anyone else here without having to worry about the language that comes from relationships and that comes from building that trust and getting around the fear that's inherent in the language my life isn't what i want it to be and the thing i've been trying to do isn't getting me where i want to be and if you hit that wall enough you bang your head against that wall enough eventually you just go well nothing i'm doing is working and that's really what it is like you get to the point where you go the reason you, the way you can switch to another language and in space is you go, well, I've tried this for long enough and it's not working. And what I want is on the other side of this thing. So just, yeah. that's why addiction is a gift at times because they're like, it, you know, as you well know, it, it'll drive you to go, I'll do it. I got a client coming in and he goes, dude, I'm suffering so badly. Like if you, you tell me to stand on my head, if that's going to work, I'll do it. <laughs> and he's like an evangelical dude, man. He's putting me, I'm a sinner and I am this and I am this and boom, 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 boom. And I, and I, I listen to all his doctrines and I go, I'm kind of curious, like, why are you working with me? And you tell him why, you know what I do? And he goes, yeah, you know, you read my book and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I do. I go, so, I'm, yeah, I, what? Okay, then he goes, 53, I'm on my third marriage. Everything's starting over again. I'll do anything. I mean, Silicon Valley is doing some really cool things with this and taking Eastern ideas and, and oh, secularizing yeah. them so that they fit the materialist viewpoint. What it really needs though, is somebody, like every missionary, successful missionary outreach, is somebody on the materialist tribe to go over to the idealist tribe, understand fully, and then come back. What's kind of the core of this whole thing, you realize, you go, well, you just start collecting stories. It works for people. Those that want it will come. What does a sacred space do? I think it creates a sanctuary. Safety. For healing. Yeah, Is that safety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like trust. Yeah. I got pregnant um, within a year of doing this work, and I tried for seven years through multiple. We didn't do um, in vitro because I didn't. I didn't want we didn't to go that far either. But we did. I did a ton of other things. Yeah. And actually, within four or five months of starting this work, I someone knocked on our door and offered us a baby girl, <laughs> essentially, and she was going to be due in two months, and we were totally unprepared. We well, just then, had uh, a garage sale. Literally, I was like, can I talk to my wife first? <laughs> so things like that, too, were like, yeah. like for us, like really meaningful in terms of continuing on. It was scary as hell when I started it. I oh, was yeah. really afraid. Uh, every time that like some healer used the word vibration, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, so I guess language a little bit, you know, yeah. like, I don't know anything about vibrations and what are you doing to me? Um, but I was connecting with the feeling and, and my spirit and that's what I kept going. I guess as I read it, what resonates with me is as I've grown in this is realizing that we're not all there. 
I mean, and I can res- my wife's not here. She's not, you know, she thinks I'm off the other edge. Yeah. Well, you got but, three heads. Yeah. But what she does see is she sees a change in me. Yeah. Oh, and I saw the change in Seth. And even times during it, I would see, like, I don't know. I would feel like, I don't know if this is really working. Is this really, are we going down the wrong path? And But then I would see, because Seth was already moving along that path before I started. And I'd be like, oh, for sure. So then I started because I saw my brother change. Yeah. That's and awesome. he started because he saw his brother It's contagious. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. Well, it is. What changed from you at that point? You talked, you, you just used the phrase where you talked about becoming aware, but you were still like stuck there, and it wasn't until, I'm trying to rephrase maybe what you're saying, that you experienced some of the White Raven stuff that you moved forward from that. Well, it was when I started life spending, when I started non verbal therapy, like stuff that, you know, bypasses our frontal lobe that gets into the shadow work and what they say in the energy world gets into the subconscious mind they say in the clinical world or gets into the parts of us where the trauma is so fragmented and disorganized that it could access the stuff that's stored in my body and in those deep parts of my brain so can you describe like what was stuck and what it was like getting through that well, stuck i kind of described earlier where i would think like i would my clinician or counselor I was seeing would say do this in these moments and she would hold space for me in my tears and everything and then she would you know say you can do this and here's a workbook and it wasn't working I would just keep repeating and re um, act like being I'd get really aroused uh, emotionally and the same stuff would come out the blaming the control the mistrust um, and then it was when I started lifespan integration that suddenly I heard that, you're okay. This is real nurturing self-talk that I didn't implant. It just happened. Yeah. Because I moved, I shifted and metabolized trauma that was stuck in my brain and in my body through lifespan integration and through EMDR. And then when I experienced White Raven, it was so much more deep because it had a spiritual component that I, and I experienced energy like in my body like I really almost felt like I left my like I remember feeling like I was laying there and felt like my whole body went like that like in the movies and I'm like this stuff really happens but I just felt it I knew it was really true um and I just suddenly I mean I just suddenly could see things like he'd be talking about something that I was doing and I would feel less defensive and I could hear him I remember suddenly seeing his face and Realizing, oh my gosh, he's constantly like checking in with eye contact to see what my affect is like. And I realized I had not seen his face for years. And when he would get so triggered about me not being present in my body, and he would get louder and louder and start raging on me, and I would leave more and more, I mean, it was out of my body, gone. And I could just be calm as could be, and I'm in the right because you're the asshole that's yelling and swearing at me right now. And I'm sitting here saying, you shouldn't talk to me like that, you know? Kind of disassociation. I was totally dissociated, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When you were in the Christian <clears throat> construct you grew up in, did you find power in it when you were in it? Yeah, I did. 
But that lost it. its potency over time, or was shedding um, that difficult for you? I was a really good Christian. <laughs> I was a really good Christian. Check all the right boxes. Yeah. Um, really good. And I did experience spiritual, like I used to call them. So I did end up going to Foursquare Church, probably because Seth introduced me to, you know, the charismatic realm. And Which I didn't know anything about. I was just... I was raising it, but I was like, so. But I remember seeing away. the lady up the front, the lady up front, like share yeah, something from God, and she's like shaking and crying. I'm like, yeah. I never want to be that lady. And then that started happening. And that's <laughs> that that totally started happening to me. Um, when I would, and I was like, you call it, you I call the get, Holy Spirit shakes? Yeah, she didn't know what to call shakes. it. She's like, I get the Holy Spirit shakes. Like, oh the first time I sat with Floyd, so he's at the White Raven, he's married to Marianne, they are the head of White Raven Center, and um, I was really nervous because I was like, this guy is going to see into me, and I don't, want, I don't know what he's going to see, I don't want him to see me, and he was sitting across from me, and I was like, I started shaking. The Holy Spirit shakes. And I'm like, okay, this is a sign. I don't have to be so freaked out about this guy. He's not evil. But I do remember trying to contain him. He's not a witch or something. Yeah. I thought that, like, I thought I I was really scared that I would be kind of led astray and that, you know. Getting the Jesus GTs. Yeah. (laughs) But that was the first sign that was kind of like confirmation for me. This is a holy man. And I just knew it. So, Interesting. Um, and then I ended up going to a process where I'm like, why am I shaking? And he said, you're ready. And suddenly he had me close my eyes. And I'm like sitting there like shaking because all this energy is in my body. And he has me see these. You know, there are t- like interventions or techniques they use as well. And see this hallway with these numbers and start walking down the hallway and then one's going to stand out to me. I'm like, maybe 17. He's like, 17, that's it. I'm like, okay. And I open it and then suddenly I see this image of a native man from a long, long time ago. And I was still like, am I really seeing what I'm seeing? Like, this is not, it's not like it's crystal clear. Am I like making this up? But as soon as I had to like extend my hand to release this part um, I like was consumed in grief. Like, mm. No faking it. I was like keeled over, just weeping and wailing, like I lost my father. And I was like, okay, because I knew what was real emotion inside of me because of all the years of therapy and different, um, mm. and also different spiritual experiences I had. So, yes, when I was a Christian, I experienced intercessory prayer. I would get what I call now like downloads or hits of information and I would share them with people. Words of wisdom. Yeah, people would start crying. Or they'd say, oh, I really needed to hear that. And I would also lay my hands on people and um, sometimes, like, like we were in Rwanda on a mission trip and Seth woke up and he was sick and he's like, I need you to lay your hands on me. And so I started doing my whole, like, regular Christian prayer, which started with gratitude. And um, he was like, no, just... Just say, I'm like, okay. Just pray for me. Be healed or something like that. She and then his sickness went away. Heal him, please. And then she fell asleep. And then, like, gone. And I went, whoa. Yeah, and it wasn't the first <laughs> time. <laughs> it wasn't the first time either. Well, she did an exorcism on me. You guys know that's how my porn addiction ended. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and that's like, yeah, there's something in it, I think. We don't know. But, hey, you know, maybe you can help. It was literally that clunky. I mean, it was just, Bleh! And we didn't know what the hell we were doing. 
And that's the thing is it, it just we just had a curiosity because we hear a story like I heard a story and I opened myself up to it. I'm like, all right, well nothing I'm doing is working. And that's really what it is. Like you get to the point where you go, the reason you the way you can switch to another language and another space is you go, Well, I've tried this for long enough and it's not working. And what I want is on the other side of this thing. So just yeah. that's why addiction is a gift at times because like it, you know, as you well know, it, it'll drive you to go, I'll do it. I got a client coming in and he goes, dude. I'm suffering so badly. Like, if you, you tell me to stand on my head, if that's going to work, I'll do it. <laughs> and he's like an evangelical dude, man. He's putting me on a sinner, and I am this, and I am this, and boom, 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 boom. And I, and I, I listen to all his doctrines, and I go, I'm kind of curious, like, why are you working with me? And you tell him why, you know what I do? And he goes, yeah, you know, you read my book and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I do. And I go, so, I'm, yeah, I, what? Okay, and he goes, 53, I'm on my third marriage. Everything's starting over again. I'll do anything. I'm like, great, perfect. Let's start with your You're technology. Ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> we started doing that. Yeah. And literally, like, three weeks in, the guy's like, my life, my whole life's changing. And it's just because he opened himself up to the story. And that was the thing, right? That's that's what it's always been, like, Jesus. I mean, this, it's not like anything we're saying hasn't been said for 5,000 years. It hasn't. It has been. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the fascinating thing about how quantum theory, the people that are really curious about it and trying to push this thing and go, well, let's find out what this is, is because they're seeing this intersection of this kind of ancient wisdom with this new scientific exploration it's just really hard to do, you know what I mean? So there's there's a recognition that we lack the language. Are the two yeah. words move energy used in the Bible? No, but they talk about it. They're writing that. Right. <laughs> that they translation. Talk, they talk about it. <laughs> King James pulled that shit out. <laughs> somebody's writing somebody it. So a woman, a woman, a woman, a woman with the bleed. I was just singing that. A woman reaches through the crowd and she touches the robe of Jesus. I felt, well, I felt the power go out of me. Right? Yeah. He's talking about moving energy. I've actually felt that. Well, I think they experience. just call it De-demons-magma-right-like-that-would-be-what-an-entity-would-be-would-be-a-demon-right-well-in-that-situation-he-wasn't-talking-about-a-demon-he-was-talking-about-an-actual-healing-energy-right-but-but-you-know-when-you-
And it was something about how they, they start to expect it. Modern science says this, and they start to expect that you will, you will give this kind of affection and they don't learn self-reliance and stuff. And I was just kind of cracking up going, that's funny. Because <laughs> you know I mean? modern science is an evolutionary thing. Well, that like spirituality is an That's an author who uh, is not a scientist. So this is the biggest problem that science has, is getting people that have voices to communicate science effectively without doing what you just said. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's probably science's number one problem. Well, that's the problem, is science can't get past the fact that they're human beings, that some scientist is doing this work, and he himself carries, or she herself carries trauma that creates unconscious belief systems, that creates unconscious... Uh, I think if we just started with reporters never getting a comment on science ever again, yeah. that'd be like a great start. Because <laughs> they always bastardize everything. Right. But then science would have to comment, and, and yeah. science then doesn't do a good job. And that's why you have a guy like Richard Rohr stepping in and going to science conferences, sure. because scientists are really interested in breaking this dualistic sure. thinking. Sure, Chopra does his whole work right now, is bringing the world of quantum theory and, and spirituality because he's a, he's a student of the ancient Hindu and ancient Buddhist texts and he's bringing right. that into the space and going like they've been he's saying he's really bad this. at it though hmm? he's really bad at it though no he's not he's, he's really really good he's really really good at it, really, really good at it. Like, and Arthur, is he good at it? you know like uh, what Chopra? He's, I don't want to comment on that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really good at it because he's wrestling with something that is, a hunt, that is literally like he, he is on the frontier of mystery in both spaces. I, can, I believe yeah. that he's trying really hard. I, I, I believe he doesn't. I, I'm, I'm not a fan per it's se, but I don't I believe he's mystified. Yeah. Like, one thing that's helped me is it, mm. part of my story is, is embracing Eastern Christianity mm. and mysticism through Eastern Christianity. So, through iconography, you realize that, you know, in the West, Christianity has really just made such a big deal out of words and meanings and systematic ways of thinking, where traditionally it was always meant to be icons and used as metaphors for teaching. It wasn't ever meant to be, you know, dogmatized so much or ran with it, you know, to the nth degree. Just take it as a metaphor. So I, I see as what Deepak Chopra is doing is he's using iconography, if you square quotes, to, to teach something about the way some of this works. And as a layman, it. You know, I just take that for what it is. It doesn't. Well, his really... interest. His interest is he is watching, and he's. A, you remember, he's his primary expertise is in the ancient spiritual tradition, and he is a mystic. Right. Mystics, they what their entire their wisdom is built off of experience. So he's looking at his experience and the experience of the the significant amount of people that he's worked with, and he's watching science and he's watching this language develop. And he's watching this deep curiosity that's pushing out into these outer realms of the universe and these inner realms of the universe. And he's just looking at the, how the language is starting to, he's going, wow, he sees these crossovers. He's yeah. just a translator. Like any other spiritual teacher, he's a translator. And it's a translator of language. But it's, he's, he's sitting on the brink of mystery and he has the courage to do that. The problem tends to be, is I think there's a big tribe issue. There's the idealistic tribe and there's the materialistic tribe. I mean, Silicon Valley is doing some really cool things with this and taking Eastern ideas and, and oh, secularizing yeah. them so that they fit the materialist viewpoint. What it really needs, though, is somebody like every missionary, successful missionary outreach, is somebody on the materialist tribe to go over to the idealist tribe, understand it fully, and then come back. It really doesn't work very well for someone to start as an idealist, and that requires relationships, right? It doesn't, yeah. So that, so starting as an idealist, really, you know, like like any tribal issue, there's they don't have the framework to cross that line. Uh, they may have the framework to cross the line enough to get one or two converts, 
I'm using the missionary to, just to trigger Arthur. Um, <laughs> uh, but they, they're not going to be able to connect that well. And that's kind of, I think, then, what, what, what I'm trying to hint at and what I think Arthur's trying to hint at is we, like, we both believe that what is actually happening is really important and really helpful, but that it is an idealist communicating it to a materialist, and there's a cultural barrier, and it's so strong that it's not making the translation. And that's my problem with Deepak Chopra, is he's trying really hard, but he's, he's fundamentally an idealist. Well, I would agree with that summary of both Deepak and the language around our teaching. Well, it's fascinating that's because we, Deepak Chopra has written 85 books and 20 bestsellers. And so, and it's so interesting to hear you guys say that because you have someone who has an audience of millions because they're all read. Yeah, but there's seven billion people on the planet. So yeah, that's not that. But, there, but there's literally yeah. an audience of millions of people resonating with it. They're and all idealists. Yeah, there's, a, there's an audience. <laughs> yeah, you're literally <laughs> only so fast communicating to half the population. Huh? There's the tribe who won't pick it up. Yeah. Like right. won't even. But the thing is, it. it's an amazing. It's an amazing thing. To, to create an idea that someone has to have a language that fits the whole thing. It, 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 no, Jesus, he just did the easy side. I, I don't think what I'm saying, what, what Derek's saying is, to get to the other side, yeah. to get to the other half of the population, right. somebody else has to do it, and they have to do it with different words. They, so have, to to get to an, the, they have to be an engineer, and they have to grow yeah, up an and engineer, and, and then... I totally um, disagree. I think to get to the other side, the other side has to want... No, it's not going to Yeah, happen. I think it takes trust. You've got to trust. You have to want something well, you don't, and you trust just, something. Can, it's clear that you don't want. Hey, Richard Rohr explains that you cannot take someone from the first stage of life and pull them or logic them into second stage of life. Yeah. They have to want to come to the other side. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. It's so interesting when, you, when the teacher is, it, the teacher stands there and teaches. And now we say, you need to teach differently because you're not resonating with me. And the teacher would simply go, well, it's clear that you don't want what I have to offer. It's that simple. Well, that's, that's one perspective, but it, and I, it does, I don't think it works the other direction. And I agree with you somewhat too, Derek, because the, uh, was it Rick at AC3 was talking about some missionary that was in uh, South America. And they were, they give the story of Jesus and the, the tribe is like, oh, cool, Judas. He's awesome. He betrayed his best friend. Right. And it's like, wait a second, like, you guys missed it. And the he learned more about the tribes, and so when the tribes are constantly at war, to make peace, the oldest son of the chief would go live in the chief's place at the other, you know, the other tribe. And as long as he was alive and doing well, there wouldn't be any war. And so the missionary started to explain that, okay, so Jesus is God's son, so he's coming to our tribe, and we are going to keep him alive. And all of a sudden, you know, it just moved through that, their tribe that they were witnessing to. Um, so there is, there does have to be a separate language, mm-hmm. but there also has to be a willingness to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm definitely willingness and trust. Yeah, yeah, and trust. But determining, yeah, determining that language and figuring out what language is culturally relevant that's going to help these people to recognize that they can get what they want without having to worry about the language. That comes from relationship, and that comes from building that trust and getting around the fear that's inherent in the language. And it's not even a language issue as much as it is a concept issue. Mm -hmm. 
because yes. they can be using the right language, but if you actually understand the concept, it's kind of a joke. Like you don't, you're using words, but you're using them wrong. Like yeah. like someone who's speaking a language secondhand and they're using like I understand what you're trying to say, but the words you're using are in the wrong spots and they're structured incorrectly. And that's that's also really yeah really distracting and also like hmm. like this is the language that actually speaks to me at my heart level and the fact that you clearly don't even understand how to structure these things correctly like the first thing I think is like you're kind of an idiot like you don't actually understand what you're saying and I even I even hear it in your own words right you're like hey the people that come to me are ready to hear what I have to say sure. Yeah. Well, so I, they're ready right. to enter into bias. your. Well, they're ready to enter into your. They they they're ready they're ready for what a te- like as a teacher. I'm, this is what I'm teaching, and they and they're saying they're resonating. It's not that that's you know, right. Ready, maybe not and so a- accepting the limitation of who you are is to say well, that's that you can't teach everybody. That's well, clear. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's a good one. <laughs> and that's being a public middle school science teacher, where you were required to teach to everybody and meet everyone at their level, whether you were capable of doing it or not. Right. No, no, no human being is capable. That's what's again fascinating. That's why it's fascinating when you when you have a critique for a teacher who has millions of people listening and resonating with him. And we go, oh, he's doing it wrong, or he does. He's not. He's losing this other half. I go, well, he wasn't meant to work with that other half. I, just, I go, well, what are the okay? Teachers, so who's the other version? What are the teachers that resonate with you? Actually, I, I like Tully a lot. Okay. Um, but it only got me so far. Right. So I would say that you're not searching for a teacher. Agree. Okay? And I had to like set us. I might be. Okay. So, the, so that search, okay, this is the this is the Buddhist tradition, right? Is they would go searching for their teacher. They find the one that is resonating. Same thing with me. Like when I started coming out of the Christian church, I was going, is anybody saying anything <laughs> that resonates? So I found Rob Bell, right? I was going, God, man, for, every time I listened to him, I go, the way he speaks, his language, everything about what he's saying resonated with me. That's the, this, the job of a teacher is not to go and figure out how to say the right shit. The job of a teacher is to be a lighthouse. You stand there. You speak what the Spirit is giving you. So when Jesus said, he who has the ears to listen, to hear, and the eyes to see, let him see, what, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to him. You just stand there and you let come through you what comes through you. And you recognize that there are, there are teachers everywhere and there are healers everywhere that are standing there going, hey, if you want it, we got it. And that's the most profound thing you learn as a teacher or a healer is that you realize like, you can't save everybody, everybody and you want to. I've got friends, one of my best friends, like, he's one of my best friends, and he just suffering, like, so much. And I'm like, I want to help him so bad. But he, he just doesn't really want help. You're not you the know? guy to do it? Or and I'm not, either I'm not the guy, or he just doesn't, he hasn't suffered enough. Like, he's not come to that point where he's like, I'll do anything I got to do. But some people, I'll get, I get emails every week from somewhere in the world. I got two, two emails last week, one from Argentina, one from Sweden. Same name, fashion, both named Matthias. But, they, but they're like... Your book is like completely impacting me, and and there's a mystery to that. You go, really? Like, really? <laughs> like, that's amazing. But for some reason, the language, everything about it resonates with they are, with where they are. It speaks to the complexity of this matrix we can call human creation, right? But that's the idea. Is when you say, well, what teacher resonates? Well, if you're not searching for your teacher, well, if you get to the point where you go, like where I was, where you're ready to blow your brains out, you'd search and you yeah. search hard, right? And you just go find, and and you just start pulling this stuff in. But there's some language, like for me, that doesn't resonate, and there's some that deeply does. So, what if the materials version doesn't exist? It might not. If you're talking about healing, I mean, it could because they're like I think I chose EMDR even on a subconscious level, like when I chose it, uh, because I wanted something that was backed by some empiricism and some peer-reviewed studies, and and it is backed because it, it, it was just something like I felt like the stakes were high. 
for myself, just where I was and wanting to just deal with things and, and work through things that if I was going to invest money and time to my own healing, I wanted maybe some security there about it mm -hmm. because there is a lot of that kind of unspoken and those unknowns. I, I typically like when we get together and talk, some of the stuff these guys in kind of that materialist rationalist realm like resonate with me deeply, but I also get the language of mysticism and mystery and experience like that, that impacts me too, but I don't want to be a sucker. You know, I don't, I already bought a bunch of bullshit. I'm done. Like I don't want to buy more. Yeah. <laughs> so and that goes to trust. Exactly. So, so yeah, there's a trust thing, right? That's yeah. the, that's the wound relationships and trust. It's not that I'm close-minded to it. I would I would totally do a process. I've actually done a phone process with Floyd before, um, which might have actually informed maybe the decision not to go that route because I thought it was beneficial and helpful, but it wasn't like the transformative thing that maybe I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it, it was Chuck's first name. Well, where I was, it, it just seemed like to invest time and money, resources into it. I wanted something that had more of that sort of yeah. peer review backing, but but, I, but I'm tracking with what you guys are saying. Like it doesn't trigger me. Um, and, and again, a lot of it even resonates with me. I mean, I, I was thinking even relatively recently we were talking about triggers and words, and there's different healers or teachers for different people. I'm so thankful my therapist is like this old hippie female Buddhist lady because uh, I don't think I could even deal with like a conservative evangelical Christian, that would just trigger the shit out of me. I don't think I could even do it. Sure. Yeah. Be because of those, it, the, the trauma that I come from, and, sure. and it's just... They know. wouldn't be teaching that anyway. John is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> That's not necessarily true. My grandma was pretty deep into a lot of this stuff, and she came from a very oh, yeah. conservative That's... Christian standpoint. So. People have ways of compartmentalizing. and yeah, yeah. Every story can be helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, so humans, arguably, the only thing that humans are good at is taking things that may not have meaning and infusing meaning into them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there. Are, so Arthur, in response to your question, what if a materialist explanation doesn't exist? A materialist explanation will always exist. There is always somebody that will be able to come up with a materialist explanation for everything. Uh, then you started to, is that demonstrably true is a whole different conversation. But a, a logical, materialistic explanation will always be possible. Questions as well. What? Questions whether it's relevant to well, the experience. That's yeah. why placebo is, exists. Like, it's so weird that placebo exists, right? Because we're so into making meaning that we'll, that they have to use placebo in investigating drugs because our meaning is so powerful that we'll just. We'll just do that, you know? We'll just make up whatever it is. Like, oh shit, my back feels bad. Yeah. Well, I, I, I heard... I heard... Uh, <laughs> no. I, I heard Richard Rohr talk about contemplation and, and, and meditation and, and having a contemplative practice and when talking to an atheist or an agnostic that pushes back on this, you know, like, I don't even believe this stuff. Like, what are you telling me to do? Well, you don't even believe it. Well, that's great. So you got nothing to lose by trying it. <laughs> you know, I almost see like a process as being the same way. Like, hey, Arthur, you don't believe it. Well, try it. Well, they've, yeah. done, they've done lots of studies on placebos. And if you tell someone it's a placebo, it still works. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, so, true. that's so true. So you can say, yeah, this is total bullshit. Do it anyways, and it'll still work. Well, because human intention has a lot to do with it, right? right? Mm -hmm. human, yeah, that's the thing is, but that's acknowledging that the human, the human beings, and we're pretty powerful, you know. Right? That's the whole thing. We know, you know, as healers, you realize, you know, when, you know, you know how you always see Jesus like he heals somebody, says your faith has made you well, your faith has made you well. You realize after a while that like 
you, you, that's why Amy wouldn't call herself, I mean, I don't think she, you wouldn't call yourself a healer as much as a facilitator of people's healing. Yeah. Right? And like, you just, you facilitate people's healing. You were facilitated. Yeah. But Chuck healed himself. And people go, well, God, or the spirit, right? Well, hey, Chuck. Chuck healed him. <laughs> Chuck healed himself, right? And Chuck is these things. Chuck is spirit. Chuck, like, where, I mean, and this is, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, like you know, if you were to try to break down, I'm going to speak for you for a second. Just stop me if I'm wrong. All right. If you were to if you were to ask us, like, like, well, you know, well, you know, what's kind of the core of this whole thing? You realize you go, well, you just start collecting stories. It works for people. People find healing, and it's that simple. Like when someone comes to you and goes, "I'm ready to blow my brains out. Can you help me?" And you go, "Yeah, I can help you." And you, and then you start having experiences, and that shifts. You don't require the language all the time. And it starts to become this thing. Like you said it really well early on. You said, once I was blind. Now I see. Now I see. Right? And, the, and of course, the, the spiritual leaders were saying, you know, they're trying to find it. Their objective, you know, materialist standpoint at the time was like, he's healing by the power of Beelzebub, you know? Right. <laughs> he's going, well, God, he's like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Like, you, you know, he's saying that. I, I was blind, now I see, and it's pretty awesome. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of feeling you, you get, right? You yeah. have to go. Can I you write a translation of the Bible that says, I don't fucking know? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really helpful, I think, oh, to a lot of man. people that are like way too uptight. <laughs> well, that's the idea, right? Is that after a while you go, hey man, and, and, as, and as, as teachers or pra- practitioners of this stuff, you just kind of go, you know, there is a faith element where you just simply go, a spirit is kind of led us here. And people are finding healing. And it's not for everyone, there's no question, man. When people, the question is, are, do you, is your life the thing you want it to be? Do you have the peace, the joy, the love, the, the, the experience that you want? And if so, and it's working for you, great. <laughs> That's why it's pointless to judge. You just, I mean, all, it's one of the things, in, and I don't mean this as an insult, but I hear a lot of judgment at times where it's like, this is wrong, that's wrong, they're wrong, this or that. I just go, wait a minute, the question is, are people at peace with their lives as they are? And if they are, and they're doing good in the world, let it be. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think, okay, so have you failed to help someone? Failed? I don't think so. I've had clients that didn't have any movement, but, yeah, after, but I don't consider that a failure. It's not a failure. Like I actually talked to one today. It's fascinating. It's like, I, I had him a year ago, zero movement. And I did twelve sessions with him, zero movement, and he called me back today. He's like, "I need your help, really." And it, his life just got worse and worse and worse. And there, the thing is that he had a resonance. So he's going, "I just know that what you're saying is true." But he wouldn't do anything. I was asking him to just ten minutes a day, just breathe. That's it. Just breathe for ten minutes a day. He wouldn't do it. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm like, I'm, if you do the things I tell you to do, it'll help you. If you don't, it won't. And after three weeks, I was going, you know, hey, I got to tell you something. I said, it's clear that you don't really want to heal. And he's like, no, I, I think I do. I go, well, you know, I've asked you to breathe for 10 minutes a day, and you keep telling me you're not of time. It's 10 minutes a day. And if it's a priority to you, you do it. But it's simple. You don't really, you haven't suffered enough yet. And he just goes, well, I feel like I'm suffering. I'm like, no, 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 you are. You are suffering <laughs> a lot. But you're just not aware of it yet. You know, that's the, in the 12-step thing, that's the whole rock-bottom thing, right? Is that, I just go, well, we spent all this time trying to, he, he was in this toxic relationship. Well, now she's pregnant, right? And now he's having a kid, and now he's, he's so he, he's scared shitless, and he's just going, I, I don't know. And he goes, he goes I think I'm going to fuck that kid up. And I go, no, no, you will, but we all do. <laughs> yeah. go, but it's, I go, but still, yeah. I go, how are you, how are you ready? So yeah. And I go, okay, you got to do what I say. It's that whole snaps the pebble from my hand thing. You go, if you do what I tell you to do, it'll work. And I can see it because you can go, well, that's the cult leader thing. I mean, yeah. You know, some people take that in a very egoic mm-hmm. direction. And that's why that whole kind of, is it in the darkness, is it in the light thing is really, really important. 
you know, and, and, we, and the, the hard thing about it is that we don't have anything beyond story. When someone tells us a story, well, it's like, why now I see it, and you have a choice to accept that or not. So mm-hmm. I think where we're landing on this is the place of classic dualism, in that one side is saying they just weren't ready, and the other side said, well, just maybe you weren't connecting with them. And then so the dialectic with that being both are true, sure. or both could possibly be true, or it's a weird conglomerate mix of those two. And so, like, like in the example of misogyny, because this came up earlier, right? One side saying I'm not misogynistic at all. That's a like it's a horrible word. Why would you say that? And the other side is saying, no, you are misogynistic. You're just not seeing it. One side, from the from the male perspective, like we're not trying to be misogynistic. But from the female side, like that's coming off as misogynistic. Mm-hmm. So both of those things are true, right? And the solution for that is for both sides to be aware of where the other people are coming from and not to add, because the damage happens when one side blows the other side off or both sides blow each other off. No, my answer is right. No, my answer is right. We've set our walls. Nothing's going to move. So I think where Arthur and I, I'll speak for Arthur for a second, would like <laughs> doing to doing it all night. Why stop now? <laughs> Is that acknowledgement of you could not be be ready, or I could not be connecting with you, sure. and I may not be able to be able to connect with you, yeah. but at least I can acknowledge the fact that may, this may not be working because you're not ready, or it could be working because you, because we're not connecting well. Absolutely. And I don't necessarily, and it's probably a mere, weird, fucked up version of all of that stuff in a big mixture yeah. pot. Uh, yeah. But just that acknowledgement. Yeah can go a huge way towards healing that relationship yeah. uh, and making things work. Well, and that's why we, we don't go try to find clients. Right. You just teach or you speak or you write a book or you do something like that and then people come. Those that want will come. And those that don't, won't. And they'll find the spaces they need. Like you said, if you find, if you get to the point like, I need a teacher. I want something to work with this part of my life that I'm unhappy with. You just, you go find your teacher. And it's, it's radical. It's cultural, and it's and there's movement, and like it's fascinating because like you know a lot of the teachers are men, and and when they're just going, I'm gonna resonate with this. So there's this. I mean, well, every, the Oprah phenomenon is a fascinating, fascinating thing. And, you know, Oprah is a, the, her level of success in her audience is a study, right, in resonance. Like why, you know, in the Christian church, like I hate that woman because she's not saying anything meaningful. Well, she's saying anything, something meaningful to millions and millions and millions of people, especially women, you know. So you just, after a while, you go, well, something's working there. I mean, Mark Driscoll is a great example. Mark resonated with people at a certain level of consciousness and a certain level of space. And we can go back. Between the ages of 18 and 28. Right. Man. And it, it yeah, deeply egoic, ego, <laughs> where yeah. in the form where they're still forming their egos and trying to figure out, they're, they're in that egoic formation structure. Kind of like heavy metal did. That's <laughs> true. And, and you, you, know, you can say, well, Mark was abusive. Like, we created Mark because we needed Mark, so we needed something to resonate with what I was yeah, back in our trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, so that's why it's pointless to judge Mark. Judging him is silly. We made him, and we needed him. The question is, why do we need him? Right? And then we start, and we used that. So many people used that space to be birthed into a better, a better space. You know, we just don't. We, we'd rather or a bitter space. Be, better space. Better be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bitter space. I mean, Hitler resonated with a bunch of people with Derek's haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mentioned before I came. I had a haircut today that made me look very. 1940s German. Very, <laughs> uh, very unfortunate. I'm not sure Hitler resonating with millions of Germans made anybody better, uh, right. but he did resonate with them. Sure. So resonance doesn't equal good. 
Well, no, of course it does. Of course it does. And even resonance of Mark. But the thing is, it does resonate. It, it does allow us to step back, to take a step back, and rather than just judge it so harshly, be curious and go. It, it does tell a story. Yeah, right. It tells. So a story. you know, the historians that have gone back and looked at World War Two, they look at the state that Germany was left in after World War One, the sanctions that were put on them, their space in Europe, and you know, they got the short end of the stick, and that's what birthed Hitler's. Rise to power and Trump. World War Two. It's Trump, um, it and you know it's Trump. It's, it's, Trump. It was, you know it's, it's Trump. Trump resonated with a whole population, and we can judge the shit out of those people, or we can go, wait a minute, like there's something in, in there's something that actually we can be deeply curious about, because if, if we want to be transformed as a culture, then we then then our judgment is simply not going to get us there. One of my favorite statements is. People that learn from history or don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and people that do learn from history are doomed to self sit by helplessly as everybody around them repeats it. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of history, um, I wanted to, to touch on this a little bit. Some of my history of healing and the, the, you, what you were saying about the the spiritual connection. So, when you felt things moving, you know, and I had. I had a few of those, uh, a men's retreat when my life was falling apart, and the the best thing that I learned there was a very Christian-y, a lot of teaching about scripture and a whiteboard and a bunch of dudes, but the most helpful thing w- with that was the guy said, hey, just go outside, <laughs> go talk to God, go for a walk for an hour, and don't talk to anybody, just, just you and God, right, and, and that was really helpful for me, and it was like I had a experience there where I just felt like something called the universe God whatever just said hey you know come here you you know big <laughs> hug or whatever you know it's like and and that that was life changing and I think I got into a place where you know doing podcasting for years and I got into a very cerebral space I think a, a really thinky place and I came over to your guys' house and did a did a process with with Amy, and and that was getting back into that spiritual space because I felt like something happened, and I don't have a logical. I guess I could science the fuck out of it and explain it <laughs> somehow. But read a lot more though. That would take but yeah, I had a I had a I had a an experience, um, and I did feel better. I think for about a, a week or so after it happened, you know. But at the same time, I guess where I go with it is is trust and, and relationships and trust. Even with EMDR, like you were talking about, because I've had a shit ton of trauma in my life. Um, like I don't have low T. I I have a pretty heavy T, and then and then I traumatize the shit out of myself just by quitting high school and and getting into drugs and dealing with dark people and dark business practices and stuff like that for a few years and so I guess that where I go with it is you know you could say trusting the spirit or whatever you know I don't know it's like do I walk into that place more can I trust that I'm not going to go down some fucking rabbit hole because that's what I it's not just a fear it's a why can't I be just happy enough with my life today like I'm glad I mean, Seth and I have had these conversations like I'm not I'm not doing crack cocaine anymore I'm not addicted to meth I see a lot of people living in tents that, that could have been me you know um, but I still I still 
want more healing, want more movement. I just don't know. I just don't know how possible that, or what I'm willing to pay for it. You know. So and I'd like to talk about this. Um, so you mentioned that you were happier, felt better for a short period of time. Yeah. And so to you listeners, I've also done a separate process with Amy. Um, and Seth, you were a part of that too. And we sat and talked for a good bit afterwards. And I kind of expressed that too. It's like, okay, where's the end? And I'm beginning to understand it's daily work. And so, Amy, do you care to elaborate on that? You know, what do you do daily? Well, I'd be curious to just if you could even go back and describe the process you do even. if Maybe it's different from client to client or person to person. Yeah, I mean, it it kind of varies depending on what I feel kind of inspired to do. But generally speaking? Generally speaking, like, I, through intention, so I guess translating that, like, in the past I would have prayed to something, but I just kind of create a sacred space through my intention setting, inviting support, whether that's Jesus or angels or someone else with Buddha there or animals. What does a sacred space do? Mm, I think it creates a sanctuary Sick. for healing. So yeah, it creates a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You like trust. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the vibration, so getting into other words, the vibration is raised in that space. So when you say sanctity, do you mean like... Is that a long? I don't know. So when I think sanctity, one of the, I think it's wonderful and helpful and safe, but one of the downsides that comes to my mind is seriousness, and that that kind of is off-putting. But I don't think that that's what I don't know. I don't know that that's what you mean. Uh, Derrickson, help me understand. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> cool. I guess I need to understand more what you're asking. Um. I was dealing with your shit not inherently serious. <laughs> because because the more serious you make it, the more trauma you do to yourself. Like like structure and hierarchical with, with specific language and specific like rules regarding like so like in a church sanctuary, for example, um, mm. you can't you know go in there and fart like it's just not cool. <laughs> right. People get that. We used to do that. Really stupid. Just wooden cues. No, farts. No, yes, Harry. You got some cushions. You're right. Yeah. That's a good story. That's a good T-shirt. Fart in church. I love Jesus Christ. Fart in church. Well, I'm curious. I mean, so I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt that. Um, I'm curious as for the energy that you sense here. I'm into this. I mean, I'm open. I mean, I'm a. I still go to a Christian church and still follow Jesus the best I can. But I'm also open to whatever because I hit the point where I, as the rich young ruler, got to the end of his rope, but wasn't willing to take the next step. And I, t- I've taken the next step. I keep taking the next step day after day because what I had pursued wasn't working. Uh, I was on the verge of of a divorce. Um, my kids were not going to have anything to do with me because I was just a mean son of a bitch. Mm. So I'm just curious, is the energy, do you, when you walk in to a room, do you sense the energy in the room? Um, sometimes. That would be more what something that Seth experiences regularly. He, I mean, Seth has done a lot more processes, what we call them. Um, he's gone in to those places inside of himself and kind of 
integrated a lot more aspects of himself in psychology and her children, um, but also in, in the Christian world, broken strongholds, ancestral, different things like that. Um, so I can sometimes if I'm engaging a right. person one on one, but I still generally need to take myself into a space. Just it's it's simpler, but just by like kind of like when I talked about creating sanctuary, I just like announce it. I kind of move myself, take a deep breath, and I'm there. Or Seth can walk into a space and he can feel like if there's stuff hanging out in the house. You know, like we just visited a house that my mom purchased that's over 100 years old. And he's like, there's some heavy energy in here. And I wasn't paying attention at all. Maybe if I tapped into it, I could feel it. Although sometimes I step into a space and I can feel this really high vibration because it feels like little tingles all over Mm -hmm. my whole body. Is this something, an atmosphere that you're... You're creating when you come in the room. Is it cooperatively created? Is it? No, it's just sensing the room. Like, like if I come in and see you have a piano there, it's the same thing, but it's on a feeling level. Well, explain when we were at Starbucks with that uh, toddler. Oh, uh, and how he hit you? I mean, well, not just me, everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What happened at Starbucks? That's <laughs> 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 the Starbucks thing. Can you yeah, Starbucks. Yeah. Oh, first of all, like it's, it's you know, it was assumed that Chuck was like a like a lord of soccer. You know, <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I I am the the son of God of soccer. Oh, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> like, speaking yeah. the Godfather, the, the Godfather yeah, of soccer approached us and started chatting with us. Like, like, he just him. assumed I knew he everything he was talking about. He was just, like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, you know, so and so, no. Chuck just kept nodding his head. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was crying. But no, it, it, um, what she's talking about is an empathic ability, right? So we talk about, you know, in the scriptures, it's described as spiritual gifts, um, just a sensitivity to energy. You know, you have psych- psychics have an ability, you know, you have people that have seers or whatever, they can see energy. Um, That's creating sanctuary? I, I, I think I'm getting it. Oh, we lost no, it. Oh, yeah, we're off on I'm sorry, I jacked that. <laughs> 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 the reason they ask was uh, my eldest is 26, so it would be 27 years ago this month. We had a friend that had gone to uh, Dennis and Rita Bennett conference on inner healing, uh, where they would uh, take you back in prayer, quote, to that little kid and the trauma that you experienced. And uh, he said he had gone. It was a Saturday night, and he had gone to a Saturday session. I was going to a Sunday session, and I was just really curious because I was just unhappy. I was angry holes in the walls from punching holes and alienating people. People were afraid of me because of my anger. And I said, well, I'm really curious because I was at that point reaching the bottom of where I could be. And uh, I was desperate. And he says, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's do this. So we did that in the, couch, or in the living room there. And he just walked through some stuff with me and prayed over some things. And the uh, craziest thing is my wife and I got pregnant. Well, my wife got pregnant, but we were able to. And we had been trying. Desperately, we've gone through all the infertility. We've gone through testing. I had to do the semen specimen to see what was happening, and it was after that. And I did dramatically sense a difference. And for me, that was the beginning of this journey. Mm-hmm. That's why I was curious about that energy because he felt it. Right. Yeah. You know, and I woke up the next morning. And I see him at the foot of my bed. And he's just making the sign of the cross, praying over us and over the bed. Yeah. And it was. She was born in August, so it's in the next two months that, that we were able to conceive. Yeah. I got pregnant um, within a year of doing this work. 
and I tried for seven years through multiple. We didn't do um, in vitro because I didn't. Want we didn't to go that far either. But we did. I did a ton of other things. Yeah. And actually, within four or five months of starting this work, I someone knocked on our door and offered us a baby girl, <laughs> essentially. And she was going to be due in two months, and we were totally unprepared. We well, just baby. had a garage sale. Literally, I was like, can I talk to my wife first? <laughs> so things like that, too, were like, yeah. like for us, like really meaningful in terms of continuing on. It was scary as hell when I started it. I oh, was yeah. really afraid. Uh, every time that like some healer used the word vibration, we'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, so I guess language a little bit, you know, yeah. like, I don't know anything about vibrations and what are you doing to me? Um, but I was connecting with the feeling and, and my spirit and that's what I kept it going. I guess as I read it, what resonates with me is that as I've grown in this is realizing that we're not all there. I mean, and I can, res- my wife's not here. She's not, you know, she thinks I'm off the other edge. Well, you got but, three heads. Yeah. But what she does see is she sees a change in me. Yeah. Oh, and I saw the change in stuff. And even times during it, I would see, like, I don't know. I would feel like, I don't know if this is really working. Is this really, are we going down the wrong path? And But then I would see, because Seth was already moving along that path before I started. And I'd be like, oh, for sure. So then I started because I saw my brother change. Yeah. That's and awesome. He started because he saw the program. It's contagious. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. Well, it is, right? That's yeah. the whole thing. Well, and then White Raven's giving you a kickback. Not really, but Not <laughs> I mean, everyone. I you know, everybody like, tells you too, like they should give you a kickback. Yeah, right. Like, so, yeah, it's like, oh, how'd you get here? <laughs> Why read Seth's book? Oh, well, Seth told me. Oh. Why are you here, Seth? And it's funny because, yeah, and there's none of that, and, then, and I've never asked for it because we just kind of oh, we're all part of this. Going well, like again, you get that point. Where you go, well, we're all just kind of following this gift or this path that we've been given, and the people that will come will come. And if they don't want to come, they come. Like well, that's what I like, too, about right. the Miriam and Floyd is it's a path. And they acknowledge it's that. Path. It's not the path. It's not it's the a path. path. It's just a yeah. path. And there's... I get people all the time. And I actually said in my book, I had a part, a note on therapy at the end of the book. Because right? people were asking, like, well, and people ask me all the time, is there any other... Actually, I got an email I need to answer tonight. Some kid in Wisconsin or something. Is there any other ways of doing this? And I'm like, I've discovered some. You know what I mean? But I've just come to this idea, though, where I've gone, but I, the, the main problem I see everyone encountering is that they get stuck in their brains, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And we need to find a way to bypass that egoic structure and get into the body where yeah. all that trauma is, is being held. Yeah. You know, I get people all the time, it's like, well, I have knots in my stomach all the time, I have tightness in my chest, and I'm like, well, what is that? And we get into that, and, and people find healing. It's, yeah, because even EMDR is in your pedal. It's, right? like it's no, just no, no. no. EMDR, no. it bypasses. It does bypass. Yeah. No, it bypasses. It's like it, it's same thing as hypnotherapy. Same thing as RTT does that. I mean, a lot of right. this stuff is about getting your eye movement and all that. What about tapping on your skull? Your that's something different. I've done that. That's EFT. That actually is really oh, EFT is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just called getting the shit kicked out of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's called yeah. Fight Club. That, <laughs> that's using like, like like pressure points. You want me to break your nose, yeah. glasses about yeah. There you go. But uh, EMDR is a bit different. But I had an experience where I just, like, I'm supposed to be laying there breathing, and I saw something that... Yeah, I went to your crown, so I went to your head, and I laid my hands on, and just imagined. So I use my imagination a lot, because I find, I believe that it's part of my spiritual creativity and power, and I just imagine light going into your crown and your crown is considered like your access to 
spiritual dimension. Mm-hmm. And which was so interesting because then in your story you shared how you left through your head, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you died. And I didn't I didn't tell you that. And anyhow, but yeah, when I had my hands on your head then you like sat up and you saw things that you weren't prepared for and it scared the shit out of you. Because yeah. I had a, a vision of when I died. So I'm in the ambulance. I'm way to the hospital. I'm 16. And yeah, weird shit like that. Like, I, don't have, <laughs> I don't have a fucking explanation for that. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't talking to you about it either. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. He just freaked out. So. Right. Yeah. Is that generally the process? You will... Touch someone at a pressure uh, point or like in the crown. That's different than RTT. So I'm oh, no, but your process. Oh, the way that I work Correct. with people. Um, in the beginning, I like to go through people's different the chakra system oh, okay. and have them like connect to it. I'll give some like education around what that chakra is, the color, like the organs it governs, kind of if you're deficient or over, you're overproducing energy in that chakra, like what that can manifest or look like in your life and your relationships. Um, and during that, it's like, um, I ask, just like in a relationship with a person or something else, I ask people to connect with that part, to sense, to start to feel it. Um, and if they're, and to notice what comes up, like if I'm seeing a color or if I see this person's face. And so I go, I start at the root, which is, um, the tailbone area and go up the front body because you have them on both sides mm-hmm. and go down the back body. And we just start in intuitively connecting and I'm getting to know them and their energy system okay and then um, but sometimes when I work with people they come specifically for something more like white raven I don't do exactly what white raven has done they don't have like a like a certification (laughs) people just do their work enough that go there and then suddenly their their blockages start being moved and they start seeing things like Jack or they I mean, that was really quick, and it's not always that for, way for everybody. Or they can suddenly feel things, or they hear things, or smell things in kind of a multi-sensory spiritual dimension. So does your process involve breath work as well? Yes. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and you start yeah. a lot earlier, too. It's not like when we did a process, it wasn't I showed up and we started a dialogue either. Um, we had had a conversation for two-plus weeks. Mm-hmm. and you need to smoke right now? <laughs> Don't Sorry. stop on my account. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you you would you would ask me you know as far as what I was thinking, what I was feeling. Um, I explained that I was starting to map a lot of what I wanted to deal with. Um, you had indicated to start searching for spirit animals. You know, so it's, we developed a dialogue mm-hmm. a lot sooner than just me showing up at your house and mm-hmm. hey, here I am. Let's be real deep and. Yeah, it's, it's not that way with everyone. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for me, because I did so much talking with people, which I think that creating that safety is so crucial, which is probably why I start, like, I start the process, I think, slower than White Raven. Yeah. Like, lay down, breathe, put your eye mask on, here we go. And then <laughs> yeah. it's really quick. Yeah. And, like, and at the end, they, like, some of them just rip the eye mask off. I like to go in, I think, because of my clinical background. She gives them chocolate at the end. Yeah, she gets some butter. I like to go slowly and help them feel more safe. I like them to do, I do some regular clinical things, like, you know, imagine yourself somewhere where you feel visual, safe. Visual, visualization. Yeah, a lot of visualization. Um, but eventually, at some point, 
like it's like there's a dance that happens between me and that person and what's coming up for them and I start either seeing things and for me as a practitioner learning to trust more and more of the stuff that is not scientific right has been a big part of my process the intuition when I first started this work Floyd told me forget about everything you know as a clinician I was like what you know how can I do that I work so hard for this and Mm -hmm. um but then when I had my second child I stopped practicing as a clinician there was a natural separation that occurred Mm. um so yeah I (coughs) I lay hands on people. They don't really do that. I mean, they do that some at White Raven, but in a different way. Um, but I yeah, they just lay. Yeah, lay bodies. Yeah, yeah. Like four Thanks, men buddy. sitting on my body, like four guys. Yeah, I don't like, do what? that. I don't even feel. <laughs> so, but I I know from like that I have hands that um, like healing hands is what some people would call them, and um, when I put my hands on people things get stirred up mm. if I have the intention to access that. And people will start feeling sensations in their body or suddenly they'll feel a strong emotion and or suddenly they'll see something. So I in particular use more of that. And in my mentorship, she's a Reiki master, so she lays hands on and she also does energy intuitive work, which is trusting her intuition and the things that come to her and asking her uh, spiritual support system and the spiritual world to help her understand what's going on for this person and she sees things and uh, gets kind of God speaks to her and she shares things and for me I mean just experiencing her also in my mentorship like even months later I'm like oh my gosh look how that's unfolding that's exactly what she was saying and at the time it might have not fit and I was like I don't know about that mm. later on consistently it comes up mm. and I'm like oh it's actually painful when it comes up when I actually but I've remained curious so I was like that doesn't really fit but the curiosity I chose to be open instead of just to block it interesting do you have um, experience or training cranial sacral work um, I do not okay I've been seeing amazing amazing cranial sacral massage mm-hmm. therapist for gosh almost two years now and when I first started seeing her I was really not open to exploring things from an energy level um, or even like closing my eyes and imagining or visualizing anything. I was, the reason why I went into cranial sacral was because of the, the scientific explanations that I was given about how exactly it works. And for the first six months or so, that was all I was interested in. And she would try to like, op- you know, push me into a different area to try to explore things. I was like, nope, nope, I'm going to stay where it's comfortable and just have my massage and then in the last few months we've been doing some amazing things and I feel like a completely different person Mm -hmm. after working with her um she does a lot of intuition work she does a lot of visualization she does a lot of talking me through and having me explore things and me tell her what I'm seeing and feeling Mm -hmm. like she doesn't tell me what she's seeing or feeling until after I've told her what I'm seeing and feeling and it's it's incredible to feel that um that sense of power over my own healing that sense Mm -hmm. of power over my own body where I felt completely mystified by whatever is going on in this thing um for years and uh, (laughs) and now and now like I 
And she says, listen to your body. Like, we don't even speak the same language. How am I supposed to listen to this body? And now she's, like, teaching me how to listen Mm -hmm. and how to take the time to do that. And the transformation has been pretty blatantly obvious and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I adore her. And I never want to stop going to see her. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, Amy, I guess we're wrapping this up. Um, How do you want to be remembered? Like if you if you pass or you were killed in a car accident tomorrow, how would you? God forbid. How would you want to be? Re- how would you want to be remembered? Great peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm fucked. I gotta do my daughter's hair now. Um, I oh man, that's a really big question. I know that I want to be remembered as someone who was very authentic and open-hearted and courageous and someone that was um, is very clearly in alignment with whatever I'm meant to do in this life and doing that to my fullest capacity. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. Seth, Amy, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for uh, thank you for having us. Uh, staying in the room with difference and asking these questions and and uh, and being here, you know. You guys created a sacred space. It's really it's beautiful. Yeah, it feels that way. It's it's a bit punk rock and it it should smell worse. <laughs> it usually does. It usually does. It usually does. Wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. I won't let them smoke in my dining room. So. <laughs> We're not smoking in the dining room. Maybe that's why it doesn't sound the same. There's not plumes of cigar smoke floating yeah, around the room. But yeah, we, we're not clicking lighters. And... Yes. We should record in here every week. No. <laughs> no so, Seth, Amy, any final words to anybody who might be on the fence about this kind of thing or someone who's seeking, dipping their toe into healing? Like, what is... What would you say to someone who's like just on the edge of like fuck I need something different in my life? For me, I I ask people to start kind of like what your cranial sacred therapist would do. I start asking people to start talking to themselves. Mm. Talking to the like so if they get really triggered or really big emotions around something that doesn't necessarily maybe it doesn't quite match a situation to pay attention. And then to start moving past the emotionality and moving past the stories in our minds and start to try and feel it, sense the sensation in the body, Uh um, and communicate with it. And just like we, like for me, I do a lot of what your therapist would tell you to do when I'm doing my work with people and also my own practice. It's been about reconnecting to this body and what it stores, like the body remembers everything. And um, so that's what I would say would be to start and then start asking for it to come to you. That's good. I would just say um, that if, similar to what she's saying, that if you set an intention, like if you have this, like, if there's a prayer or a cry in your heart that says, I want to heal, I want to change, I've got to change this. If you set that intention and, I'll, and whatever that looks like where you just simply scream it to the sky or whatever, if that's the prayer in your heart, then just pay attention. Whatever you're being surrounded with is leading you down that path. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of start, stop trying to control it and just pay attention. 
the right. stories, whatever's coming to you. And, and that's the hard thing is your ego wants to block it out and suppress things, you know, and to help you have to survive what you carry. But if you're being shown, you know, just pay attention. Set your intention and pay attention. Right. That's it. Have the courage to be curious. When the student is ready. <laughs> the teacher will appear. There you go. Yeah. All right. And thanks. Bye. Out. Later. There. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. There goes Amy, Seth, and the rest of the Punk Theology gang. Music credits for this podcast, R-V-I-V-R, is the name of the band. River, I guess, different spelling. Uh, Wrong Way, One Way was the bumper that you just heard. At the beginning of this very podcast, you heard... My Name is Human by Highly Suspect. And right after that, the band Dead Dog with Worth It. Bumper promos, we call them in the talk radio biz. Those are the tunes that were played on this podcast. There's a Spotify playlist for Punk Theology where you can hear the songs in their entirety. Spotify uh, search Punk Theology to hear the bands and follow the bands if you'd like to uh, know where they're playing. Maybe they're playing your city next week. We don't know. Uh, Punk Theology is owned by Digital Audio Project, LLC, who is responsible for its content. Thanks again. Bye.